Welcome into Outkick the Show, Friday edition. I hope all of you are ready for a fantastic weekend. Your boy will be spending most of the weekend, like a lot of weekends I spend this time of year, Little League Baseball stadiums, and by stadiums I mean fields. Uh, Looking forward to that. I hope all of you are ready to roll into the weekend. We got a bunch of stories to hit you with in advance. I want to say thanks to everybody who has subscribed to Outkick the Show on podcast. Thank you to all who are subscribed right now on YouTube. My kids read the comments. They are wildly entertained. Click that subscribe button if you are enjoying hearing and or watching this on a YouTube podcast everywhere out there. And also, of course, everybody who is watching right now uh, on Twitter as well. Facebook, we're kind of everywhere. Uh, and right off the top here, uh, I want to discuss the big Big blow up that we had yesterday between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher over NIL. And the analogy that I made, I'd encourage you to go read this if you're kind of intrigued by the underlying reason why these two guys went at it as they did, is that we've effectively gone from communism, which is uh, uh, where guys are not allowed to be compensated for their labor, but a few people are allowed to get wealthy, which is how the communistic system works. There's no free market to capitalism almost overnight. And the result of that is Nick Saban's dominance is being challenged. And if you want to follow along on this analogy, the NCAA basically is the Berlin Wall. And if you're uh, at all a student of history, the Berlin Wall existed to keep East Germany Uh, under the footprint of the Iron Curtain and to ensure that communism was on that side of the wall. And then on the other side of the wall was West Germany, where capitalism flourished. And when that wall came down, capitalism dominated, spread throughout the entirety of Europe. Um, And ultimately, that's what's going on right now in the world of college athletics. So I would just ask people this, okay? If you, like me, are a capitalist, why are you troubled by a athlete making as much money as the market will allow them to make based on their talents? Don't think about anything. Don't think about the changing rules. I just want you to think about it from a purely capitalist perspective. I believe that people deserve fair market value for their talents. If you are watching or listening to me right now, I want you to make as much money as you possibly can. And if you also are a capitalist, and if you believe in maximizing revenues, in making as much money as you possibly can for you and your family, why would you be opposed to college athletes doing the same? Now, there are certain rules that I think probably should be put in place because I don't think we can have a pure free market uh, because that doesn't exist anywhere in the world of sports. A salary cap is not a pure free market. Restricting the number of schools that are able to compete is not a free market, right? There are certain restrictions that I think could probably make sense to ensure a more competitive environment, which is ultimately to the benefit of everyone who is playing the sport. But on its most basic level, If you are watching this right now and you vote Republican, if you are watching this right now and you live in a red state, don't get hung up on the rules changing. Just in your head, be asking yourself this question. 
Why do I want a free market for everything but college athletics? The reason why I raise this issue is I think there are going to be a lot of capitalists, a lot of people who own businesses, who believe in free markets that are going to take advantage of this new NIL process. And ultimately, what I think Nick Saban is nervous about is he's looking at the different schools and he recognizes that the University of Alabama doesn't have as much money as everybody else does. And Nick Saban owes his competitive advantage to two things. He's a great coach and he's a great recruiter. Well, he's still going to be a great coach, but if he doesn't have the best players because the best players are suddenly going to schools that can pay more money, then Nick Saban may not have the same competitive advantage going forward. And I think that's where his anger is coming out about NIL. Because the University of Texas, Texas A&M, USC, the University of Tennessee, I'm just tossing out some schools that I 100% know, they have way more billionaire fans, so does, by the way, a school like Arkansas, than the University of Alabama does. And if those billionaire fans and boosters decide to really get behind the idea of paying a lot of money for top players, then I got to tell you, the dynamic is going to change. Now, some people are like, oh, this is going to be awful for college athletics. I'm not sure that's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. Anybody who tells you that they do know what's going to happen is totally wrong. What's going on here is we're at a major paradigm shift. We're at an inflection point. And this gives an opportunity to schools that have been down for a while, the Texases, the USC's, Tennessee's of the world, that have traditional big programs to reassert levels of dominance historically that they've been able to do. And it challenges the teams that are on the top of the the hierarchy right now uh, because a dynamic destruction, a creative destruction of the existing marketplace moving from communism to capitalism creates a huge schism uh, and, uh, and, and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what is going to happen in this massive shift, but that is the underlying reason why Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher are fighting right now. Because for generations, the NCAA has insisted that college athletes can't be compensated by anything more than a scholarship. And if everybody offers the same scholarship, then you're going to go to the school that might have the best coach and gives you the best chance to win. But if everybody is suddenly able to offer something other than a scholarship, then most people out there are going to go wherever the best opportunity is in terms of financial reward. That's the history of capitalism. Very few of you out there listening to me right now take less money in order to do the same job. So most of the time, the highest bidder is going to win. Now, I would encourage any college athlete who's listening to this, any college athlete who's watching this, to remember that for most of you who are elite-level athletes, whatever you make in college is going to be a small fraction of what you make in your professional career. So don't sabotage your professional career by focusing on the money that you're making in college. For many of you, it should be an appetizer to the full steak uh, dinner that you're going to get when you become a professional. But for some of you, 
you're never going to be able to make as much money in the pros as you do in college and you got to strike while you can. I would just say make smart decisions that maximize your abilities as a professional. The ideal move is get paid in college some money, get better, and get paid a lot of money in the pros. So this is the underlying story. I would encourage all of you to go read the column that I've got up right now at OutKick. And by the way, thank you for all of you who are reading and consuming OutKick content across radio, television, uh, the internet, uh, basically all mediums known to man across social media. Uh, It is much appreciated as we go forward. Uh, Big news that came out of the Sussman trial that is right now going on in Washington, D.C. And I want to make sure that I read this so I don't mess up exactly what was testified to. Uh, But Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, Robbie Mook, testified today that Hillary Clinton herself approved, and I'm reading from Brooke Singman's tweet, Hillary Clinton herself approved the dissemination of info alleging a covert communications channel between the Trump organization and Russia's Alpha Bank to the media despite campaign officials not being, quote, totally confident in its legitimacy. Again, that's a little bit complicated, so I want to tell you exactly what happened here in a succinct fashion. Hillary Clinton leaked fake allegations to create the entire Russia collusion narrative that dogged Donald Trump throughout his entire presidency. The idea that he had been colluding directly with Russia was a lie that was leaked to the FBI, which then began to investigate the Trump campaign for alleged connections to Russia. There was no truth to it. So Hillary Clinton used American justice organizations, the FBI in particular, to make a false allegation that her campaign knew may not be true against Donald Trump and that allegation is how we have spent years focused on Russia collusion. It was all made up. Okay? Now, this is a massive story because Democrats are lecturing us every day, all day, about how Republicans don't believe in the democratic process. Hillary Clinton used the existing United States government to investigate Donald Trump and try to destroy his presidency and his campaign based on a lie that she leaked to the media and to these governmental agencies. It's a monster story. All of it was a lie. Hillary Clinton tried, as Buck Sexton, my co-host, said, to institute a soft coup against Donald Trump and destroy him so she could win the presidency. And when she didn't win the presidency, she allowed this lie to basically continue and spend years drawing everything into its black hole, which was the Russia collusion lie that seemed to suck in everything surrounding Donald Trump. It made zero sense. And it was a lie. It'll be interesting to see how much the media covers 
Hillary Clinton's own campaign manager testifying under oath that she approved the leak of fake news to the FBI and to the news media, which created the entire Russia collusion narrative. Hillary Clinton created one of the biggest lies in the history of America and directed it against her opposition in the Republican uh, in the Republican Party, Donald Trump. So for everybody out there who's talking about collusion and, and media disinformation, Hillary Clinton created the most successful act of disinformation probably in American history, certainly in modern American history, all against Donald Trump. And then the Democrats have the gall to accuse Republicans of disinformation when they legitimately created the largest campaign based on disinformation probably in American history via Hillary Clinton. And by the way, she was doing this everywhere. She did it to Bernie. She absolutely destroyed Bernie Sanders in the Democrat campaign by creating a DNC that was rigged in her favor And then she did the same thing to Donald Trump. It's unbelievable. Hey, Clay Travis right here. Outkick the show is dominating. We're continuing to roll. More coming back in a moment. But first, this. Uh, Speaking of unbelievable, this is actually imminently believable. As soon as Elon Musk decided to buy Twitter, you knew when he said that he was going to apply content-neutral policies. That's not policies that favor one party or the other, just content-neutral. You want to put it in sports terms, he was going to call balls and strikes right down the middle. There wasn't going to be any uh, any fa- favorable treatment in any direction. Uh, as soon as Elon Musk got the right to buy Twitter, it was all hands on deck. We have to come after him. He's been a public figure, Elon Musk has, for around 25 years. To my knowledge, there's never been any allegations of impropriety on a substantial level levied against Elon Musk. As soon as he decides to buy Twitter, as soon as he says he's going to make content-neutral policies, and as soon as he says he's going to be voting Republican, suddenly they are after him. And so there's a publication of a story saying that he paid $250,000 to settle a sexual harassment claim. Now, the source for this story is actually hearsay. It's not the woman herself. It's a woman who is a friend of another woman. Uh, And the allegation is that Musk offered to buy a woman a horse if she engaged in sexual favors with him. Now, the horse comment sounds like a joke because I just can't imagine that many women out there being like, I wasn't sure if I was going to hook up with this guy or not, but then he offered to buy me a horse and he swept me off my feet. In other words, this sounds like a joke doesn't sound like something that would legitimately occur. But this is six years old. There was a complaint made. Uh, SpaceX, I believe it was, paid out $250,000 to settle the claim. Now, $250,000 sounds like a lot of money. For Elon Musk, who is worth billions of dollars, $250,000 is like paying a traffic ticket. And I would almost guarantee you it's way cheaper than paying a lawyer would be uh, to handle a sexual harassment claim because whoever Elon Musk is paying, whatever lawyer 
is going to be making $1,500 or $2,000 an hour. And by the way, there are a bunch of them. And by the way, your boy here used to investigate sexual harassment allegations. I did this uh, internally for companies. This was one of the things I did while I was practicing the law. So this is not an uncommon uh, situation. There is an NDA. Some people say, well, why would you have an NDA if you didn't do anything wrong? Because otherwise, what are you paying for? If you're paying someone based on their allegation to try to avoid the negative press of the allegation, why would you then allow them to still make the public allegation out there in the larger arena marketplace of ideas if you're paying them not to do it? What are you paying for, in other words, if someone's still going to say something negative about you? Uh, So uh, this whole thing, to me, doesn't pass the smell test. Um, but it's not a surprise because the FTC, the FCC, uh, the, 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 the Biden Department of Justice, uh, all of these legacy media outlets, the Washington Post, MSNBC, uh, the New York Times, they're all coming after Elon Musk because they are afraid, make no mistake about it, they are afraid that his implementation of content-neutral policies at Twitter will actually stop the game from being rigged in their favor. They're furious at the idea that the rig job may not stay in effect. Uh, Speaking of the rig job, I wish I was wrong on this, but unfortunately, it is accurate. Uh, As I am talking to you right now, the Biden stock market has gone negative. That is, if you had bought stock in the Biden administration, if you had believed that they were going to do a good job and you had gone and bought stock on the day that Joe Biden was sworn into office, you would now have lost money because the stock market has now gone negative compared to where it was on January 20th of 2021 when Joe Biden was sworn into office. That is... 40-year high inflation, a southern border that is a sieve with people crossing like crazy, Uh, some uh, incredible rates of violent crime that are setting near all-time highs all over the country. Uh, We have got uh, war in Europe. We have got the disaster in Afghanistan. We got a baby formula shortage of all things. Uh, And everything that Joe Biden has touched has gotten worse, including the stock market, you would have been better off not having had stocks now for the entirety of the Biden administration since it is now negative as we head into the midterms. Uh, Speaking of the midterms, this crazy race that is going on in Pennsylvania, I want to give you the latest. I think I've got it pulled up here. Uh, The Dr. Oz versus Dave McCormick race is nearly dead even at this point. There have been over 1.3 million votes. Votes are continuing to come in. And right now, and I'm doing live math in this situation, there is, as I look at the numbers, exactly an 1,100-vote lead for Dr. Oz. He's at 418-246, and Dave McCormick is at 417-146. So, Exactly 1,100 votes separate Dr. Oz from Dave McCormick to see potentially who is going to be the next senator from the state of Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz or Dave McCormick, who's going to be the Republican nominee? 
They are separated by exactly 1,100 votes here. Uh, we don't know exactly how many uh, uh, how many uh, votes are still outstanding, but Dr. Oz got 31.2% of the vote, and Dave McCormick has gotten 31.1% of the vote. Uh, we've got another crazy transgender story uh, in the world of sports. You know how these guys are trying to say, hey, this is not a very big deal. This doesn't happen very often. What are you talking about? You're making all this up. There aren't that many transgender athletes that are competing. Well, I'll tell you what. There sure are a lot of transgender athletes that seem to be winning. We talked about skateboarding. Certainly, we've talked about swimming. Well, now, how about Australia's surfing championships? A woman who is uh, now a biological man who's 43 years old decided to identify as a woman. And guess what? That transgender uh, woman that was a dominant male surfboard uh, surfer has now dominated in Australia. We've got yet another woman that is being beaten by a biological man. This man is bigger, stronger, faster than everybody else. uh, And this continues to happen more and more going forward. Every sport, I just want to make this clear, everybody's going to have to make a decision on this. Eventually, sports fans, sports media, and, uh, and athletes themselves are not going to be able to dodge this question, which is, do you believe women should compete against women, or do you believe that men who identify against women should be able to compete against women too? Because it's coming in every sport. It's going to happen sometimes in the high school level, college, (coughs) professional ranks. All of it's going to occur. I am on the side. Women deserve to compete against women. Not a difficult side to take. It's an easy choice for me to make. All right? Yet, there are a lot of people out there that are pretending this story doesn't exist. Or they're trying to tell you this is a made-up controversy. It isn't. Men are bigger, stronger, and faster than women. And increasingly, some men are deciding to identify as women and starting to dominate women in those sports. It's coming for all women's sports. It's going to happen in tennis. It's going to happen in track and field. It's going to happen in uh, basketball. It's coming. This is going to be a reality everywhere. And you have to make choices about what you believe is appropriate and inappropriate, what is acceptable and what is unacceptable in this space. I'm telling you, all of us are going to have to make choices here. Speaking of choices, feels like every NBA game so far in the uh, in the recent history, the Game 7s, the Western Conference, and uh, the Eastern Conference have been blowouts. I am going to take the Dallas Mavericks and the over tonight. Uh, the Mavs are plus 6. I'm looking right now at fanduel.com slash clay. I'm on the Mavericks plus six tonight. I am on the over 214 and a half. Mavericks plus six, the over 214 and a half. Encourage all of you to get your bets in at fanduel.com slash clay. Final thought here as we roll into the weekend, the top wide receiver in basically college football last year, Jordan Addison, he was at Pitt. He now has decided to leave behind the Pitt Panthers in the ACC and travel all the way across the country to USC, evidently being paid several million dollars, at least that's the report, 
uh, to join Lincoln Riley's USC squad. This is going to become, I believe, more and more commonplace. Because remember, and I wrote about this in my column about the Berlin Wall coming down, you have a situation right now in college athletics where theoretically a college athlete could sell his labor uh, as a senior in high school deciding where to go, could then sell his labor again as a transfer student, because remember, you can transfer now without having to sit out at all. So if you go to a school, establish that you're really good in your freshman and sophomore year, you can then transfer unlimited, put yourself back into the NIL transfer portal effectively, decide how much more money you can make, and then, and then as if that is not enough, you also can graduate and get the graduate transfer exemption. So theoretically, if you really take care of business in the classroom, you can be in a situation where you get to sell your NIL rights three different times to three different schools in one four-year period. That's pretty wild. Three different free agencies in one four-year college. Now, remember, In the NFL right now, if you go pro in the NFL and you get drafted in the first round, you're locked up for five years. Right now, we have a situation in college football where in a four-year process, an individual athlete can be a free agent three times and can sign three different big money contracts. You don't think these guys recognize how they're going to be able to exploit the rules. This is something worth paying a lot of attention to. Jordan Addison, Pitt to USC... It's not only that the NIL money is out there, it's that as the NIL money is arriving, simultaneously, the NCAA is now allowing everybody to transfer without sitting out. So not only do you have NIL money, you have perpetual free agency, potentially three different free agencies in a four-year process. Katie, bar the door, you ain't seen nothing yet. All right, I appreciate all of you. I gotta go pick up my kids now. Uh, my name is Clay Travis. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. This has been Outkick, the show. I hope all of you have fantastic weekends. Thanks for supporting Outkick. Thanks for consuming all our content. We love you guys and hope you have fun weekends. See y'all.